Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Uh, we've been talking about a prayer language and uh, uh, speaking in an, in a new language can be really awkward, right? And as, as some of us began to pray in our prayer language, uh, it, it sounds weird. It's like, wow, that, that doesn't sound natural because it's supernatural. But when we begin to speak in our prayer language, it may sound awkward. And who but the enemy would want to come in and say, oh, you're not really speaking in, in a prayer language. That's just garble. That's, you know, you're just being silly. So don't, uh, when, uh, when you pray and, and when you receive your prayer language, don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that you're not really praying in the prayer language. You wouldn't expect Elias to begin to, to speak eloquently and, and tell you everything, pick up the, the, you know, read something off the internet, would you? And, and when he, as he learns to speak, he's going to make uh, some mistakes in what he says and how he says it, but you don't slap him and say, oh, that's bad, that's horrible. No, you encourage him, right? Because he's learning. And so that's like us. Any, any language you learn is going to take some time to acclimate to that. So anyway, don't let the enemy trick you into saying that, that uh, that's not authentic or real. And as you, as you pray in your, your prayer language more, you get more comfortable with it. It's, it's almost like second nature to me. There are a lot of times I'll just begin to pray and the spirit just like that and it's just normal it's just flowing because it's this connection that we have with the Lord and it's our spirit man connecting with him and again like any other language the more you do it the more comfortable you get with it so um, anyway I just wanted to go back and touch on those things we're still in this series of gifts from the Holy Spirit and today I want to talk about order and balance uh, chaos and disorder often causes confusion and division have you ever been in a work environment where maybe your boss tells you, I was uh, one of the places Steve and I worked, we, they went to this matrix management. And what, I don't know what that meant other than you had like three or four different people telling you what to do. And so you do this and then this boss says, well, why did you do that? Well, because Joe told me to do this. And Peggy says, well, why did you do that? You know, so it's confusing. And so chaos and disorder causes confusion and division. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So when we come together, there should not be confusion, there should not be division, but there should be peace as we're moving together in one accord and unity. The enemy of your soul would love for everyone to be confused about the gifts from the Holy Spirit. Oh, I, you know, that's just confusing. Just don't, don't use the gifts. Why? Why wouldn't we use the gifts from the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit empowers us to help each other and to live the abundant life Jesus died to give us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the abundant life, to walk in victory, to walk in peace. Even when the, the culture, the, the circumstances around us are not peaceful, we can be walking in peace. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
verse 1 where we began this series. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. So Paul is very clear. He's like, look, these are important aspects. These are important elements, the gifts from the Holy Spirit that we need to have in our lives that God gives to us. Why would we reject anything that the Lord has for us? And, and, and also, it's important that we understand the gifts, what they are, and how we're to use them. And although not taught very much, from what I see, uh, the, the, the gifts, again, are very important for us. I remember talking with a person one time, and uh, they were actually a, a worship leader. And we were talking about prayer language. And they said, oh, well, I have a prayer language but I never use it. I'm like, why? The Bible tells us when we pray in the Spirit, we are built up. And I thought about that. I, I thought, well, is that just arrogance? That, oh, well, I have this gift, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need it. I mean, I, I don't understand that. Why anyone would not be open to receiving all the gifts that the, ha that the Lord has for us. So let's skip down to uh, verse 5 and in chapter 12, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. And so there's unity together, and we are a beautiful representation of God's family. Look around the room. You see different colors. You see different sizes. Okay, you're getting personal now here, Pastor. Well, you see, you know, different personalities. We're a, we are the body of Christ we're not all a thumb or an index finger or a big toe. And when, when you look around this room, I think we see a beautiful representation of God's children, God's kingdom. What he wants to do in the world is bring us together in Christ. So your gifts and service is vital to the overall health, impact, and results of all the Lord does through our lives. The giftings that God has given you are different than the person next to you, probably. But we all work together. The gifts are to build us up, to encourage one another and strengthen us. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, God works in different ways, but, it's the, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. You matter. You are important. Galatians 3, 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this isn't saying that there, there aren't uh, Jew and Gentile. Obviously there are. It isn't saying that there's not male or female. We're not all binary or whatever that well, those terms mean we are male and female, okay. And, uh, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. So God's gifts are not determined by our race, our social status, our sex. God, God is looking down and he sees his children, he sees his family, and he sees us as individuals that he can disseminate and, and distribute the gifts that we need into our lives. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize when you meet together. 
So Paul is laying out some suggested formats for when we come together. It doesn't have to be this way. He's just making some suggestions here. And um, if, if you know, if you've been here very long, you, you probably know that we, Life Fellowship, intentionally uses different formats in our services to shift the focus. For instance, Sunday morning uh, is like a swimming pool. So there's a shallow end, there's an, uh, a, maybe an intermediate end and a deep end because you have people coming in at all levels of spiritual maturity, right? In fact, uh, we, we have some people come in that aren't even saved. And so somebody that, w- that didn't know how to swim, you wouldn't throw them in the deep end of the pool, probably. You wouldn't do that. But you would ease them in, right? Now, the good thing is that the Word says of itself that it will not return void without accomplishing what it was sent to do. So if you have an unsaved person come in and you have a spiritually mature person coming in and they're hearing the same message, the Holy Spirit is going to minister to that person in what they need if they're open to receive. And the goal is that this person that's unsaved will come into a relationship with Christ. And so if, you, if you've been to the sunrise service at the chemo boardwalk, you'll see that the, the uh, approach to that message is different maybe than what it would be on a Sunday morning. Maybe a little bit different. But the target audience is different because we, there are uh, hundreds of people out there and some of those people don't have a relationship with the Lord. Or some, some of them may be stuck in religion or, you know, whatever. Run the whole gamut. And so in, in presentations, you need to know your audience. But the greatest thing is the Holy Spirit knows the audience better than we do. And so he's going to minister effectively. So Sunday morning looks different than a life group. You, many of you are involved in life groups. And life groups are more relational uh, drilling down maybe into the topic from the previous Sunday or, or whatever their material is, and it's more interactive and discussion-driven. So you see that Sunday morning and life groups look different. Uh, we've had nights of worship, and I'm looking forward to having another night of worship in the near future, and those are different still because we're going deeper in worship. And uh, we're... Um, there's more of an intentional approach to engaging in a, on an intimate level with the Lord in those nights of worship. And they, they may be more prophetic where the Holy Spirit is moving, but you have people there that are hungry for God and they're wanting to engage in worship. And so you may have new people come and they're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know, I, I don't really care about singing the songs. So I'll just show up late. Well, it's not about singing the songs. It's about engaging with the Lord and entering into this intimate place and preparing our hearts. So it's never about the music. It's about our hearts engaging with Him. So uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 continues. Paul, again, he's talking about you know, uh, formats that, that could be uh, applicable in the church. One will sing, another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. Okay, so we read through this, but one thing we may miss is Paul is indicating there are unbelievers in these services. Well, well, I didn't see anything about unbelievers or unsaved people in there. Well, we've already covered this, but I'm going to go over it. So go back and watch and listen to these sermons if you've missed them. Read chapter 14 if you want. 
Should, but read it later, okay? Not right now. But as previously discussed in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, so you see speaking in tongues is a sign for, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Uh, so you see speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. So what did we just read? Let's go back and read. One will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret. Let's go back to verse 22. So you see speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. So when, when Paul is saying this, he's, he's, indicating, <clears throat> excuse me, he's indicating that there will be unbelievers there, which is good. But here's the key in verse 26. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So we want, we want unbelievers to come into the services. We want them to come to life groups. We want them to come to, to nights of worship so that they can encounter this wonderful power, this wonderful love of Jesus that changes our lives, our hearts and lives. We want young believers to come to life fellowship. We want intermediate believers to come. We want mature believers to come. We want people and families that are hungry for the Lord, for a personal, intimate relationship with Him to come to Life Fellowship. This is a place that we want to, to gather the people from the community. It doesn't matter your station in life. It doesn't matter your, your race or your social status or your sex. This is a place of safety. This is a place of love where God is doing transformations in our lives. So let me go back, and I want to kind of tie this together in 1 Corinthians 14, 26-29. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Verse 27. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. So again, Paul is giving instructions for the usage of some of these gifts. Now, I've, I've seen people, I've been in services where people will stand up and speak in tongues. But I think, and, and I'm discerning by the Spirit, that they're really praying in their prayer language. That they haven't differentiated the difference between speaking in tongues and a prayer language. Now, prayer language is fine. It's, it's good. But it says if, if someone is speaking in tongues, it must be interpreted. Otherwise, how is that going to benefit anyone? And then again, it says that speaking in tongues is for the unbeliever. Uh, verse 28, but if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. So what have we been talking about? We've been talking about a prayer language. Jude 20, when we pray in the Spirit, we are built up. So I think what Paul is doing, he's trying to bring understanding of the gifts and the application of those gifts and how we are to use those so that everyone will be built up. That's what he just said, that when whatever gifts we have, they must encourage and build up and strengthen the entire church. So if someone's speaking in tongues and someone's confused, how is that building them up? So again, Paul is just giving some 
boundaries on how to use the gifts. He goes on to say, let two or three people prophesy. Let the others evaluate what is said. There, there needs to be discernment in what's, what's being said. And as I said the other day, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess, uh, uh, people don't just have the right to come in here and prophesy whatever they want to say. Because they may not be prophesying something that's of the Lord. There's no telling. If, if we don't know this person, we don't know what kind of background they come from. And, and so Paul goes on to say, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. Well, what does he mean here? Oh, yeah, I like, yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. No, that's not what he means. Or, hey, hey, <clears throat> Hayden, hey, Tim, what do you think? You think that's good? Let's vote on that. What do you think, Susie? Let's vote on that. Is that good? No, that's not what he means by evaluating. What he means is that there are those that are that have discernment, that are moving in the Holy Spirit and have discernment, they are the ones who evaluate that. Because you could tell, excuse me, You could potentially tell a baby Christian anything, and if they don't know the word, they might believe it, right? And so, you know, that's why you have spiritual leaders. That's why you have people with discernment to discern these things. Um, there, there is the Holy Spirit, and there are unholy spirits. When we went to India, we encountered some of those unholy spirits. When Pastor Christine has gone to Africa definitely encountered some unholy spirits and when uh, sean and ariel have been here and talked about uh their work in africa they've shared with us some of those things that have happened that where uh unholy spirits are working when pastor christine was in some of the meetings in africa there were witch doctors that would come and try to put curses on people See, they understand the spirit realm. They just need to understand the Holy Spirit. So you think about witch doctors, psychics, palm readers, tarot card readers, mediums. And they're, they're spiritual, but not Holy Spirit-led. So we need to be careful. You know, if, if someone comes up and says, uh, well, I'm spiritual. Okay, well, we're a spirit being. That, that doesn't mean we're a Holy Spirit-led. It doesn't mean that you're not operating in some uh, strange spirit. So we need to be careful about the spiritual realm. We know that we are plugged into the Holy Spirit, but you may meet somebody on the street. They may not be plugged into the Holy Spirit. So we need to be careful about that, and, and we need to introduce people to the Holy Spirit if they're operating in an unholy spirit. 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world today. And so again, that's why we, uh, we have, there are gatekeepers here. If someone has a word of prophecy, you can talk to Pastor Christine or me or one of the leaders. And, and we'll have discernment of, of whether that should be shared now or later, or is that really a word from the Lord? 
maybe, maybe we don't want to share that today. I'll talk with you about that later. Because we are to protect the flock, the congregation. And we need to be looking out for one another. And as we move into our new building and all of, all of that, there will be people coming probably that will be operating in things that are not good. And so we need to have discernment. If somebody has a word of prophecy for you at work, you need to have discernment. Is that from the Lord? Or, or what is that? Because it may sound good, but you may think, oh, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't line up with the word of God. That's not what he says. That's not what the Holy Spirit is telling me. So we don't need to be fearful of prophecy, but we need to be wise and careful of what, we're, what we are receiving. And uh, so this is the reason all prophetic words need to be evaluated. And because we don't want you to ingest something harmful. Okay, chapter 14, verse 30 through 35. But if someone is speaking, uh, I'm sorry, if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. And so we've been in meetings where the prophetic is moving uh, very strongly. And so Paul is giving order for that as well. Um, verse 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. In other words, when we're moving and operating in the Holy Spirit, we don't become like some kind of robot who has no control or a zombie. <laughs> so we have control over what we say. And we should be moving in one accord according to the Holy Spirit is leading us and directing us. For, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace. As in all the meetings of God's holy people. So my first point was the Holy Spirit empowers us to help each other and to live the abundant life Jesus died to give us. My second point is there is order in the family and in the church. Paul addresses many issues causing division and, uh, in the church in order to bring unity to the body of Christ. When we read scripture, we need to consider the culture of the people that Paul was writing to or who are these letters going to now it's not it's not situational ethics where this teaching is applicable well if this is going on or that's going on the word is the standard it's the foundation on which everything is built and which we minister from but um, we need to when we look at these letters we also need to consider the culture who was he writing to what was going on there he was writing to, in Corinthians, he was writing to young, new believers, Gentiles, non-Jews that didn't have the Old Testament background or training, and he was dealing with Jews that had, uh, that had become followers of Christ that were trying to merge Old Testament law with having a relationship with God through Christ. This was a whole new thing for them. Because they had the law and they had all these rituals and, and things that they were doing. And what Paul was trying to do is say, hey, look, you need, the law is not bad. Jesus came to fulfill the law 
He didn't, he didn't negate the law, but it's not about the law as much as it is about this relationship with the Lord. And so, also, young Jewish boys around six were taught the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And some of them would be required to memorize the first five books. The first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorize. How many of you would say that you have a hundred scriptures memorized? Oh, wow. That's good. Okay. How about 200? Someone want to take a stab at how many scriptures they would have memorized? According to you know, our Bible, now it's, it, it was just one scroll, right? It, each book was one scroll. And so it wasn't broken in chapter and verse like it is now. But anyone want to take a stab at how many scriptures that would be to memorize the first five books of the Bible? Any, any takers? How about 5,852? I counted them. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, went, I, went to, I went online and it said how many scriptures were in Genesis, Exodus. So I did add them up, but I didn't count them all. But so uh, there's also, you may hear about the Torah. The Torah is a Hebrew word, and, or you may have heard about the Pentateuch, and that's the Greek word for the five, first five books of the, of the Old Testament. So young boys were given training in the Old Testament law. Now, you know, when we're talking 1 Corinthians, they didn't have the New Testament. It was being written, right? It was happening right then, but they had the Old Testament to rely on. But girls and women were not allowed to attend or participate in the religious training. So the early church consisted of a mixture of men and women and, uh, and so Paul is addressing some things that were cultural. Even when we've been to India, sometimes some of the, the sessions, the men were on one side and the women on another side of the room. But Paul addresses another thing that causes division in the modern-day church. Let's look at verse 34. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. Verse 35, if they have questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in a church, in church meetings. So it's probable that the women didn't have the training that some of the men had, and so they would be asking uh, questions and interrupting the meeting by asking questions that they could have asked their husband at home. Have you ever been in a meeting, maybe at work or somewhere, and so you're, you're meeting and you're having a discussion, and everybody's on, pretty much on the same page, they have the same information, they have uh, you know, the, the same knowledge about the process or whatever, and then you have somebody else that's new, and they're in the meeting, and they're like, oh, excuse me, what about, what about this? And it's something basic. You're trying to get somewhere to make some decisions on the process or, or whatever's going on, but you have somebody that's interrupting because they don't know what everybody else knows in the room. Now, maybe there's a training going on, but at some point in time, you're like, hey, maybe you just need to... That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? But, you know, and, and they may not mean any harm, but it's interrupting the flow of the meeting because they just don't know. And so I think that was the case here, that these women probably had really good questions to ask and comments to make. 
But they, they were interrupting the meeting. And so Paul is saying, hey, maybe you should ask these questions to your husband at home so you get some better understanding. And in the Corinthian culture, women were not allowed to confront men in public. So this could have created some issues and would have caused division in the church. There were a lot of things happening in this environment. So Paul is trying to address some of these things in this culture with these different, uh, with the Corinthians and you've got the Jews in there. And so, uh, you know, we have, we have issues today, but my goodness, I think it would have been much harder back then because you're trying to really uh, address these different cultural things. And how does that mesh? How does that work with, with the teachings of Christ and the Jewish culture and the Corinthian culture. So my first point is the Holy Spirit empowers us to help each other and to live the abundant life Jesus died to give us. There is order in the family and in the church. The Lord desires unity in his family. I want to go back to chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So there's an order, there's a heavenly order, God, Christ, man, woman. Now, let me be clear, our role is not based on our value, but on God's designed order. Women, is not, uh, women are not less than men. But uh, just like in your job, God has placed... Uh, your boss over you and so you have a boss maybe you have a couple of bosses whatever that looks like so it doesn't mean that your value is less it just it's a different role and so in God's kingdom we're all of great value but we have different roles uh, Ephesians 5 25 and 33 says for husbands this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church he gave up his life for her so husbands, are we loving our wives as Christ loved the church? Men are not to be overbearing or dictators. We're to lead. Lead strong and lead, lead well, but lead in love. And value our wives. My wife is, is a great partner. She has some really good suggestions sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, what in the world is she thinking? Sometimes I'm like, wow, how did you come up with that? So we need to value one another and know if we're married, we're one. And so we work together. Ephesians 5.33, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. Husbands, do you love your wife as you love yourself? And the wife must respect her husband. You notice it doesn't say, and the wife must love her husband. Hopefully she does. <laughs> but there's something inherent within us as men that we need to be respected. And wives, one of the most horrible things you can do is tear down your husband, disrespect your husband, especially in front of other people. Don't do that. And the same for husbands. Don't disrespect your wife either. Love them. But there's something that God has created in us as men and women that are different because a woman needs to know that they're loved. And for some strange reason, we as men, we need to be respected. 
And that's just how we're wired. But again, let's, let's consider the culture. A clash of Jewish and Corinthian cultures. On September 10th, I talked about the, uh, I discussed the Corinthian culture. So listen, if you've missed some of these teachings, go back and, and check those out. Corinth, and, Corinth, Corinth had become a place of luxury, indulgence, including prostitution, with sexual immorality being rampant. Corinthians were given a term, Corinthianize, which meant having immoral sex. So they, they even had a term for their immorality. Hey, let's, let's get Corinthianized. Let's go have immoral sex. So when, when we look at the, the cultures, the difference, Jewish women always covered their heads in worship. And a woman with an uncovered head in public was a sign of loose morals. Greek women were probably accustomed to not wearing head coverings. So you can see the difference there. If you're trained up to think, oh, this, this woman has loose morals because she doesn't have a head covering on. You know, you can see how there could be tremendous uh, confusion and conflict in that. 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 10. But there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. A man dishonors. He's not talking about his, his head here. He dishonors his head. He's talking about his head here. Who is head over man? Christ. Okay. So removing our hats or caps when praying gives honor and respect to the Lord. So that's why you'll see uh, people here, anyone that has the cap on, they'll remove it when, when we pray for respect to the Lord. Verse 5, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. Okay, wait a minute. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. Okay, it appears that women were allowed to pray and prophesy, right? Because if women were res restricted from praying and prophesying, why would Paul address it? It would be, and, and it was disgraceful for a woman to shave her head. And so Paul is, is kind of being facetious here, I think, when he says, yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all of her hair. Paul is emphasizing this point in the culture. So you see some of the things that they were having to deal with was not easy. Uh, verse 6 continues, But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. So I know of one denomination that believes women should have long hair, not cut their hair, and wear long dresses but it doesn't require them to cover their heads. I find that interesting. But here's the thing, we can get caught up in all kinds of ritualistic, denominational things and miss the heart of God. <laughs> he goes on to write in verse seven, a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping for a man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. And a woman reflects man's glory. 
So we're seeing an order here. Again, it's not a value, but Paul is trying to bring some correction to these cultures that are merging together in, in, in the bond of Christ, and it's not easy. He goes on to write, for, for the first man didn't come from a woman, but the first woman came from men. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for men. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. See, that was another reason that they would wear a head, uh, um, head covering. And remember that in the Jewish culture, a woman not wearing a head covering was perceived to be a woman of loose moral character. A woman wearing a head covering would show respect for her husband. I want to share an example uh, a number of years ago when we were at the other buildings. Um, the praise and worship team, they came to me and they said, Hey, Pastor, uh, would it be okay if we wore ball caps during worship? And they came from their home church was another church where they had to wear a suit and tie. And so they had a little more freedom at Life Fellowship. And uh, I said, Yeah, I, I think that would be okay. I, I don't have a problem with it as, as long as you have the right heart in worship. And and just take off your caps whenever uh, prayer is going on. I, I don't really have a problem with that. Because it's not about the cap. <laughs> I've been in, uh, you know, I don't wear a suit, obviously. I used to wear a tie. I, I mean, I used to wear a jacket. But I don't wear a jacket anymore. Uh, unless, I don't wear a suit unless I'm at a funeral or a wedding. Or if I get asked to speak at another church. And that's their culture. I don't like it. <laughs> but I'm going to wear it because I want to honor the house. I, I, I want to honor them because it's not all about me. And uh, so anyway, they, were, they started wearing their ball caps during worship, and uh, it was fine. But then uh, a person came to me and said uh, they were offended that these guys were up there leading worship and they had ball caps on. And, you know, Paul, Paul said, hey, if there's something that offends someone, just stop doing it, you know, because it's not all about me. If, if what I'm doing offends a brother or sister, then just stop it. He's not talking about compromising the Word of God now, okay? Let me be clear about that. And so I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll ask them to, to stop wearing them. But, and I did this in a really kind and loving way, all right? So I said, well, you know, if we want to look at the, the legalism of that, uh, the word says women should cover their heads. Um, I don't see your wife with a head covering on. He didn't really address that. <laughs> he just kind of moved on. He said, well... Um, I noticed you wear your shirt tail out. Oh my. Did I really? Am I offending God? That's not what I said. That's what I thought in my mind. I had this whole other conversation going on. And he said, well, you wear your shirt tail out. I said, well, it's not intended to be disrespectful to you or certainly not to God or anyone else. Um, I'm not sure that having my shirt tail in or out really matters to God. But I said... You know, you're wearing shorts. I don't have a problem with that. 
But some people would maybe take offense at that and say, really, you're wearing shorts into God's house? That's the best you can do? That's how you honor God? So it wasn't too much longer they left the church. <laughs> but here's my point. You know, it's not about this external stuff that we try to make it all about. It's a matter of our heart. It's a matter of this relationship. It's a, it's a matter of this relationship. And so, you know, these things that I've been talking about the last, especially the last four or five weeks, have been somewhat challenging us, I think, because we have to look at, okay, our, our denominational theology. What, what was I taught? What, I, what do I have ingrained in me that maybe I need to reevaluate those things? Maybe I need to unlearn some stuff. Maybe I need to take the Word of God and, and, and really drill down into that and say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this situation? Because it's not about the cap, the suit, the shorts, the shirt tail, the hair covering. It's about our relationship with Him, and that's what really matters. But sometimes we can get off track, and these other things can take precedence over the priority of our relationship with Him. And that's why I'm teaching on some of these things, because I want you to know how to address these questions when people ask you at work, in your neighborhood. Because the enemy uses these kinds of things to cause chaos and division and destruction and uh, even anger. You know, some people get angry about these things because of what they've been taught. I, was, I, I remember talking to a guy one day and he was talking about women preaching in the church. And I just listened. Pastor Christine is one of the best Bible teachers I know. Can you imagine what it would be like if I said, no, you can't teach because you're a woman. You can only teach if you're a white male. You can only teach if you're a male. You can only... What if we put those restrictions on God? God has made all of us beautiful and wonderful and giving us gifts. Why would we reject those things? Pastor Christine is an ordained pastor. Now, I will say this. I, I, I personally don't believe a woman should be a head pastor or a lead pastor over the church. But she is under my authority. As, not only as my wife, but as I'm her pastor as well. And so I think there are some things that, that we look at and we say, okay, let's look at the Word of God here. And let's apply the Word of God correctly. And, and I'm not going to get into the whole senior pastorship of women, but, you know, I just, I see that, uh, I've seen that happen, and I've seen the problems that can come from that. And uh, so anyway, let me just move on from that. But um, anyone that's in leadership in this church is under my authority. And they have leadership because they're trustable. They're trustworthy. But they're still under the authority. Because, you know, I've read in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your spiritual leaders, for they look out for your soul. They will be accountable to God. So the things that happen here, I'm going to be accountable to God for. I'm going to have to stand before, before him and give an account. So, and the other thing is, my role is to lead and feed and protect you as well. 
and protect those that, that are being trained and equipped. You don't want to set somebody up for failure. So God is doing some amazing things and we need to receive his gifts. And we need to understand that God has an order and there's a balance to the things that happen or supposed to happen in his body in the church. The Holy Spirit empowers us to help each other and to live the abundant life Jesus came to give us. There's order in the family and in the church. The Lord desires unity in his family. Go back and listen to these sermons. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's there. <laughs> it's there for us.